Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Brian Diaries, where the Bold crew gets together to talk about subjects dealing with our favorite tabletop role-playing games outside of our actual plays. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where you'll find our Discord link. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Brian Diaries with our brand new segment, Brian Storming. In this segment, we'll be flexing our creative muscles to put together stories, modules, adventure paths, and inspiration for different games, but with a twist, which we'll get to in a little bit. I'm Becca, your host for Brian Storming, and Craig is my storyteller for today. Craig, can you go ahead and explain some of your storytelling experiences for us? Hi, Becca. Um, great to be on the show. Longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I've been playing pretend since I was about two or three years old, and I have constantly been wanting to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I will let you know when I figure that out, but... Uh, I was always like when I was young, trying to make up stories, whether it was with my Star Wars action figures or like trying to break the rules on Monopoly to add oh, a bigger story. Because the game sucks. It really does. But if you put a story behind it, you could be like a venture capitalist trying to, you know, corrupt all the players. Gotcha. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess my fo- first exposure was to to role-playing was Scholastic, the little book club thing that you got at school in the 90s where you can order like really? books. So they had this um, interesting like book club subscription thing back in the 90s where okay. you can order, they're like these Star Wars role-playing books where you, it was like a choose your own adventure and you kind of like made a character using like rules oh, and like they had these okay. funny, they had these funny looking dice. I'm like, I saw the six-sided dice before in my life, but they had these funny looking dice and you have little cards with like pictures of a blaster or a lightsaber on it or like a picture, like a x-wing or the millennium falcon and you made your character and you go through the stories and you roll your skills to see like what you got what uh sort of results you got and like you could keep i read through and played through like all 20 plus books or whatever and i'm like this is getting really super easy what else is out there and friends at the time were doing this thing called dungeons and dragons and i look and i see uh my buddy tony he's making this elven wizard and i'm like wow yeah yeah an elf would would have a magic stuff and a long sword and a bow (laughs) and can i play well you'd have to ask the person running the game i said Mm. oh okay so he's promptly said no so i spent another uh two years trying to slowly infiltrate the group and i played the us yeah (laughs) is this like so so that i understand is this like your middle school high school at that point yeah, early high school. Okay. okay. Yeah. So eventually I was able to get in and, you know, kept playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And then I always wanted to try my own thing. But, you know, some people always hog this, the, like the storyteller, game game master, dungeon master. Uh, the forever GM. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like chopping up a bit trying to get, get in there. But it may be patient and able to come up with stories in my head and get things well planned out. Mm-hmm. So when it finally came time, I get everyone together and we make characters and then we blow and play again for another couple months. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fast forward through uh, college where I didn't really uh, do a whole lot of role playing. And I kind of get, um, went back home during the summers and got friends back into it. And now I basically had portions of my life where I did a lot of role-playing versus a little bit of role-playing, depending on like what I had going on. Fortunately, I'm yeah. at a place in my life where I'm doing a lot of role-playing again. But yeah. uh, 
It's very ebb and flow. I think for anybody, like there's just going to be times where you're you're playing more or running more than others. Yeah. And it's just like during that time, I never stopped planning a game. In fact, I have like dozens of files of games I plan that I'll probably never get the chance to run. But uh, whenever I think of something, I write it down and maybe in a couple decades, I'll use it. I'm going to go all, all Chris on us right now and just say, run it. Run it! Run it for us! <laughs> well, we're working on that, and now now I'm finally getting around <laughs> to finally running the Down Darker Trails game I started, like, three years ago of prepping. Oh my gosh. That's so... I can't imagine... Like, for me personally, I can't imagine prepping a game that long. Well, the trick is to prep multiple games at once, so when you get bored of working on one, you could just jump off to another. So, so when you do think of ideas, I know you run other systems besides Vampire or um, Call of Cthulhu, but like, what are your typical go-tos for systems when you're coming up with stories? If I were to pick a system that was my goal to emulate sort of Earth or something with real life, I would probably go to one of the variants of the basic role-playing or BRP systems, which is what Call of Cthulhu is based off of. Oh, okay. I was like, so, what is that? I've yeah. never heard of that before. So what I like about that system and Call of Cthulhu and like any other, like Pendragon's based off of it, a couple other systems are based off of it, but it it has a lot of different skills, a few core attributes, and you can really flavor the character by giving them like a bunch of weird skills that only make sense in certain situations. Like you can make up your own skill like dog sledging or stand idly for hours on end. There's a uh, NPC in the Horror in the Orient Express game who has the skill entertain the PCs for hours on end. But uh, yeah, it's a really flavorful thing and it's a good way to water down your NPCs so the player characters still have a mechanical advantage on them. But I just really like the... I really like the system because it it simulates real life adequately and then gets out of the way. Once you do your character creation, you don't really need the rule book anymore, which is gotcha. something like it. I like to have things on the table for reference, but I don't like spending a lot of time the page through it. Oh, yeah. No, when you're when you're writing a game like the the first and the foremost thing should always be the story and what's going on with the players. And sometimes it's like depending on who's at your table, like I personally have a couple of uh, people who love the rules and talking about the rules. So it's okay to take those breaks. But most of the time I find people don't, they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, rulings over rules and just keep things going forward so you can actually get to playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, very cool. So I learned a couple of different things just from that little short stint. And I'm very excited to maybe go check out those uh, Star Wars books you talked about. <laughs> I, I wish I still had I wish I still had them. My parents are cleaning out the basement of my old stuff and I found them, but they were water damaged beyond repair. Oh. And it broke my heart to throw them away. Damn, that's rough. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. It's okay. All right. So for our system today, Craig has decided to do Call of Cthulhu Gaslight. Can you tell us more about the system and why you are so interested in it and like it. Yeah, well, again, I already expressed my love for the mechanics of Call Cthulhu, but one thing I do like about the catalog that it has, it's it really feeds into my desire for temporal tourism, as I like to call it. There's a lot of different uh, 
settings for Call of Cthulhu. The base one's obviously the 1920s, but because of how the system is pretty setting agnostic, just a couple tweaks to your skills. And you could be anywhere from modern day, far future, back into like Cthulhu Invictus, which is ancient Roman, Roman times. They have, I'm going to look at my shelf. They got some uh, Delta Green over there. They got obviously pulp versions um, where you can really uh, have skills like science with an exclamation mark behind it. Down Darker Trails, which I'm currently running for the TCBN gang. They also have Cthulhu by Gaslight, which talking to Becca, I knew I was going to do some sort of uh, Cthulhu thing, but we were trying to decide like, hey, what hasn't been done? What what would be an interesting setting? And we kind of settled on Gaslight. What, uh, What Gaslight is, is... I mean, it could be any location, but it's typically 1890s London-centric. One of those like Pax Britannica sort of settings where it takes like characters like Sherlock Holmes and bumps them into like mysteries and settings. It's the start of like the real occult uh, movement in Europe. You got the um, beginnings of the like hermetic orders that are starting up that are really popular by the time the 1920s gets around. But I basically thought that it would be fun to go with Gaslight, first off, because Becca thought it would be interesting, and second off because... Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, no, second off because it's a really interesting time where there's a lot of advances in um, societal norms or technologies. Like, you go from um, vast amounts of countrysides to just a couple years, you have telegraphs and railways that are speeding people all around. It's the very beginning of a global society and ideas are spread. And some of those ideas that are spread are, you know, a world of non-caring evils where you have both a human origin and otherwise um, just, you know, crushing down on your player characters. Beautiful, beautiful. Plus, you know, one of, one of the main facts that I both love and hate about the Victorian age is that you know, this is the time where we ate ate mummies the most. Such a weird time period. <laughs> yeah, like um, archaeology was having some of its early beginnings at the during the time, and exports from Egypt. You can basically buy a mummy, Gosh. you buy a sarcophagus, and whether or not you want a mummy in, it's really up to you, the buyer. So I actually do have about a question about the book specifically. Is Call of Cthulhu? You have a rules book, and then hey, here's gaslights and down darker trails and those are more system or setting stuff not as much system is that how it works or like is each book have like their own mini subsect of rules well yeah you you mostly have your core rule book and then you have your your setting supplements that are kind of released separately and they just have updates to the rules like for instance gaslight they'll have like oh these are the weapons available during that this time they'll do this number of damage points to your to people again i i do love how they do weapons in cthulhu because guns will kill people when you shoot them a wound when call cthulhu will put you in the hospital or six feet under real quick it kind of reinforces the non-caring universe and fragile pcs that i like but here i go avoiding the question again which was uh the supplements yeah there we go yeah the supplements um yeah they might have a list of like skills that are more important or time sensitive skills like you might not have like computer hacking in gaslight if you're going to like uh, early 20th century or even mid 20th century it's a very specialized skill where only a few people have it and you need a lot of computer to do 
a very little bit in comparison for modern times. Right. So with the supplemental books, that's um, they, they definitely have some of the rules, but definitely worth picking up if you want to run in a specific time period, because there's things that we in modern times just don't think about. But again, what I like about Cthulhu is you can just pull up Wikipedia or your favorite history book, pick a setting you like, and the rules are really easy to adapt. So without... Um, gotcha. Yeah, without um, reading through Cthulhu by Gaslight, um, all you really need is the quick start uh, versions of Cthulhu, which you can get on Chaosium's website for free, and whatever historical setting you want to, um, want to have, and bump them together, and you can easily uh, play in it. Gotcha. So you, so you could go down the route of having these supplements and getting more into it, but it can be as simple as I just have the rules and I know the game that I'm going to run and boom, let's go. Absolutely. Love that. Okay, Craig. So we've talked about Call of Cthulhu a little bit and what you what you like to highlight and what you think is really great about the system. Let's dive more into the Victorian age and for a uh, for the people here who aren't super versed in history, cough, cough, um, what what jumps out to you about the Victorian age? Well, the age is basically the reign of Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom and the progress of technology and social norms that changed while she was reigning, I think, uh, 1837 till, let's see, go-go Wikipedia, 1901. Yeah, so... This it's basically like the also like known as like the Belle Epoque um, um, era of continental Europe. You got all these ideas of what's fashionable. That's basically it's still pretty high in colonialism for good or for bad. There's a lot of uh, big nationalist um, movements. There's the advances of science and uh, religion is still a very uh, big influence on society. So you have all these forces that are kind of just butting heads and a lot of people prefer a more steampunk approach, which, you know, keeps a little flair of magic and like science with an exclamation mark in it. And <laughs> you could, you could like tone down on, on like a lot of the inherent racism by doing a steampunk setting. But okay. for, for me, like, I, I can't believe I have to say this, but uh, like, it's important to acknowledge that there was a problem and with like Lovecraft as well. I think it's important to note that yeah. it, it is a flaw, not a feature of this um, the series source material and setting. But it should it should be brought up, in my opinion, and the players can be of whatever uh, persuasion that they want to be because they are the heroes of the story, and it's about them overcoming obstacles. And that's another thing I really like about Cthulhu is you're playing normal people. You're you are investigators. You're not heroes. You are people that go and investigate mystery. That's what you do. You're basically Shaggy Scooby and the gang going through and pulling apart mysteries and seeing what's just someone wearing a rubber mask and what's actually a hidden extra cosmic evil that's going to actually end the world. Roll sanity. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's another aspect of Cthulhu that I like is you start off when you're playing as the strongest your character is going to be. It's really the inverse, a lot of power fantasy, and I think simulates real life better because, you know, as you get old, you might get a little bit smarter, you might get a little bit more skilled, but your body's going to break down by like running from people 
with spears who are chasing you and fighting monsters, it's going to take its toll. And I don't believe that you should get a whole lot better physically unless you really work at it and are really lucky. All right, guys. So for this round of brainstorming, each storyteller participating was given the same story prompt to work from to create their own story. But again, we're doing it with different systems. So that's what our twist is. Now, I also want to throw out there that each storyteller has had time to think about these. So we're not just throwing them together in an hour or half an hour. So so do keep that in mind. Here's the prompt. A local organization is accused of instigating arguments among people, seemingly natural disasters, and even wars. Pitch your game. So when I first read that, the words that stuck out to me was organization, natural disasters, wars, but arguments among people kind of surrounding it. So I knew I wanted to do something Cthulhu. And once we kind of agreed on what time period we were going to focus on, the organization part just seemed like a blossom that I wanted to explore. So since we're playing Cthulhu, the PCs are investigators. They are people who, through an organization, an investigator organization, or their own curiosity, decide to go look into mysteries. My first thought was to decide what this investigative organization was. And being 1890s London, my thought kind of like turned immediately towards the the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is like a real life secret society um, from the early 20th century. And thought, hmm, Let's back this up a little bit into Gaslight Area and find something that um, like is an approximation of it. And then I realized that there's already one that exists. And it's called the Silver Twilight Lodge, which is basically um, Chaosium's um, Masonic-style group. Um, they're both investigators and they're people who participate in magical rituals whether they actually believe that they're doing magic or they're joining it as like a fraternal order or a social club uh the player characters can join this order for whatever reasons and like they could use it as a way to uh, climb the societal ladder or improve their connections or maybe they actually believe in the occult and they think they can get some actual occult knowledge out of it so just to clarify with that would would the general idea if somebody joins that order, would they join it knowing, hey, there's this kind of occultish background to it or and just choose not to believe that if they're wanting to climb that social ladder? Or is it like everybody kind of on some level goes or doesn't know about that aspect? So uh, let's let's think about why people would join um, like fraternal orders in the first place. Like they're they're looking for a group of like-minded um, people to kind of hang out with, to improve their social standing with, to spend time with. And it helps that they have similar int- interests. I think that especially like with the Golden Dawn, for example, people thought or knew that, hey, this is a group that is really into occult artifacts, magic practices. And it would really depend on the specific person joining what their motivations the joy would be and i mean does anybody really believe in magic that's the real question like you might have some hardcore fanatics some who believed in magic and then you probably have a lot more moderate people who yeah say they'll believe that they believe in magic when it's convenient to believe in magic and say oh no i'm here for i'm here for the champagne and caviar when it's convenient to do that okay so it's it's interesting because what you said totally lines up with what I imagine in like 
historically what would have happened. So you're, it sounds like you're going more for that bent, but it gets a little bit weird because like there's actual magic in the system to a degree, right? Yes, there is. I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> so in the Call of Cthulhu canon as portrayed by Chaosium, um, I mentioned that there's the Silver Twilight Lodge. It's, I don't think it ever popped up in Lovecraft stories, but it made a it, may, it has made a lot of uh, appearances in like Chiasium's own writings, including Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth, which is a published campaign. And it's popped up in like uh, Fantasy Flights board games and Lovecraft-inspired um, card games as like something the players can join or fight against or fight with, depending on the circumstances. So back to the organization part of the prompt, I thought it would be really cool if the organization in, in that we were talking about was both friend and foe to the players. Especially with such a large potential for the group base. You have all these different people. It's possible you don't know everybody in the organization. So it makes sense to have that possibility that, hey, this organization is going to implode. Yeah. Plus it's, it's London. Um, it's a kind of urban setting. You may not know everyone. You might know your close group of friends, aka your fellow investigators, but probably on the whole, you probably know a handful of other contacts by their real identities. And perhaps like you even adopt ceremonial names or pseudonyms to be your true occultish persona while in the group. And you might have you, so you might be like a, you might be some sort of a clerk or like some mild mannered government servant by day, but at night you're the supreme Magnus, master of the three oh inner circles, and devout reader of Herschel Buckman. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. That's great. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And in, in canon, in Chaosium canon lore, um, the, the Silver Twilight Run um, Lodge is actually spoilers. Um, led by um, Carl Sanford, who is uh, kind of like a, a workaround, a sort of based off of uh, Carl Sanford, uh, Sandy Peterson, the creator of Call of Cthulhu. And in the game, he is actually a, an immortal sorcerer. You know, because why not? Because why not? Whether your player characters know that or not, that's kind of up to you. So okay. I, I think it's, again, when we're presenting this specific uh, scenario, I'm hoping to either collab with you, Becca, or just kind of leave it open for people wanting to kind of steal this scenario and we rework it to fit whatever sort of game they want to run. Absolutely. So we we have our organization. What what next do you think is important to state in building up the scenario? First off, I think it's important in any game to kind of maintain or set and maintain the tone that you want. In Call of Cthulhu, you got gritty historical realism, but then you also got that extra layer of ooey, cheesy, supernatural goodness that will make any, like, human corruption look like small fries. Okay. okay. But I also want to point out that the supernatural, um, like, perspective or motivation may not be completely understandable. Like, in Lovecraft's mythology, some of the supernatural creatures, for lack of a better term, like, they're their motives are uncomprehendable, so you can't really empathize or even understand what they could possibly be trying to do, which is another tone. So you go, it goes back down. You got that that human human level evilness that that you can deal with as player characters. Maybe you can't do anything about uh, sleeping Cthulhu and whatever he's trying to do, but boy, you could take out his cultists, and that's something. 
Okay. Okay. With this scenario, so we have our organization, and I think you've already kind of alluded to it just by talking about it, but what are some of the themes that you would want to accomplish with this scenario? Okay. I think it's important um, to kind of like establish what the baseline experience of your player character should be. And like in the Victorian times, some of the bigger themes are socioeconomic status of your player characters as represented in like Call Cthulhu, um, especially the older editions. This is uh, really handled by the credit rating skill. And depending on your particular historical um, setting of choice, it means a lot more like, but in like Gaslight London, 1890s, yeah, your social economic status is everything where you fit in society. It's almost like, you know, playing vampire. They're not going to let anarchs into the silver twilight. That's a, re- that's a really good point. So with socioeconomic status um, being a bigger deal in this setting as a uh, storyteller or game master or keeper of arcane lore, as they call it in Cthulhu, I would either give my players some sort of bonus to their credit rating to get them to be like the class that of investigators that will fit your scenario or maybe give them um, a certain number of points and encourage them to invest into credit rating just because the people who tend to be joining societies and orders at the time were of a certain credit rating like you're not going to find your like your chimney sweeps or your cab driver drivers necessarily joining a hermetic order Right. And that's very important to state that kind of stuff up front. So like before a player even starts to think about their character, because if, like you said, somebody's like, oh, I'll play a chimney sweep. And it's like, eh, that doesn't fit what the game's going to be. Yeah. If if a player is set on a chimney sweep, you might try to make it so that, oh, maybe they are a chimney sweep, but they are also very well trusted of another player character or important NPC and their trustworthy list allows them special exceptions which you know is a way to get around some of the racial and sexist um, undertones of the era as well oh yeah yeah (laughs) that's actually one of the reasons why i and we've run into this before but that's why i have a hard time with earlier settings it's just not as fun for me because i like to play women for instance and, and that can be hard to to step around or to feel like you're having to deal with that I acknowledge as a white, uh, straight, Christian-leaning male that we had a very good <laughs> run, but it's important to recognize the <laughs> the plights of others. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, but so, I actually like that idea for for a a way to get around it. Just the the character mindset, like, oh, clearly you must have a very ambitious person because they're starting all the way down here, but maybe they want to go way up, and this is the way that they're choosing to go about it. Like, they're I'm pointing that out because that doesn't sound cheesy to me. I feel like some some people like you just come up with the first thing because you know it's the first thing you think of and you're put on the spot, but it ends up being really cheesy later on. I don't. I think that would be a good solution. Yeah, and like, say you wanted to portray a lower class um, character in one of these settings, you could be like the personal valet to someone who's like a little bit higher class, or to bring the the one of the themes of the uh, prompt back into it. Being part of an or of a very powerful organization means that you can get into places that uh, otherwise wouldn't. Like, uh, hell, even the Silver Lodge might need janitors. Real quick, another theme that uh, I think is important to highlight is uh, supernatural investigations. Um, as 
important thing because like in Call of Cthulhu, one of the core activities is investigating a mystery. And these mysteries, you know, they tend to be of supernatural origin. They don't always have to be, but you know, the exception makes the rule. And you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with like how would your character in a realistic uh like setting react to finding something of a supernatural or- origin, which being members of an occult organization as some of your buy-in makes it more it might for some some characters make it more acceptable to you know believe in like otherworldly things going on or the occult because like the occult um the occult happens you got some um, ghosts making murders or something you bring that to the police they're going to just put you in bedlam so you really have to deal with like right. members outside your organization or even inside your party who just happen not to make their ideal role after seeing something. They're they're going to dismiss it out of hand because that's the normal human defense mechanism for that. Yeah. And that in and of itself will present a very interesting challenge for the players and learning, like getting into those characters and thinking, okay, well, how can I actually solve this when I know this, this, and this won't be helpful? So we already know a little bit about the PCs in this scenario. It's the 1890s in London, Victorian era. They're members of the Silver Lodge. And we, we do know that... Their social economic status is very important, but so so they have to fit within a certain criteria. Otherwise, like there needs to be a good tie-in, like we talked about. So how would we get started with this scenario? Like we just kind of we're gonna walk through this a little bit and then we'll kind of we'll double back and get more into the details with it. All right. Yeah. Like if I'm if I'm gonna run this as a scenario and it's a historic setting that the players may or may not be very familiar with, I might do what I call like a day in the life scene to kind of establish the, you know, the typical pulse for each player character. So you might have like I might say, hey Becca, actually, hey Becca, what's your character idea for this uh setting oh dang i didn't man you really did put me on the spot i didn't think about this uh well let's continue with that with that with that idea of an ambitious individual who wants to move up in the world but is not quite of the right social status yeah or economic status and you mentioned you like Um, women I do. So I was just trying to think of how I would go about that during that time and and fitting in with the the theme. So I'm just basically going to retake that trusted person and put it on a a lady in waiting. That's probably not the exact right term that I'm looking for, but uh, she would work under a more noble woman maybe she's works with the daughter and she happens to connect with the the husband like maybe there's a scenario where he finds out that she's really trustworthy with that and so then invites her to be a part of this organization i actually really like that and yes uh lady in waiting would be the term for okay for that <laughs> if you want to even bump it down more you could have gone with ladies maids or valet or housekeeper okay. but like Lady waiting's good because you have the potential to bump up in social class by you know making the right match or gotcha. joining this order that um you know kind of values knowledge and magical aptitude over wealth and influence at least officially. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh yeah we we would go through like the the day in the life maybe you can um talk about what the day in the life for your lady and waiting would be like. Maybe you start the morning by making sure your mistress is good and ready. Make sure that her servants laid out the correct clothes. Maybe you, you, as her companion, are 
thinking up uh, things to do for the day. What are your thoughts, Becca? Yeah, I, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Managing the that person's household, making sure they're entertained or attending the things that they need to attend and potentially attending with them. I Again, I'm not very versed in that kind of etiquette, but it would mostly be revolving around that person and then... Yeah, yeah, laugh at her, la- show up, be her entourage, laugh at the jokes at the exactly. appropriate time, you know, be her wingwoman. <laughs> entourage is a really, really good modern way to put that. <laughs> Talk about all the handsome bows. Yeah, and like play play the matching Jane Austen type game where, <laughs> oh, but what about him? Wouldn't he be a good match? Oh, oh yeah, gosh. but I heard she's into him or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So yeah, so that's a fun way to bring a little bit of Jane Austen into that, (laughs) into Call of Cthulhu. I mean, it could fit really any setting, which is why I like the system. So we we have this character, we established what her typical day is like. And you mentioned her being some sort of trusted individual within the house. So maybe she Mm -hmm. bumps into a member of the household family who, because of her magical aptitude and knowledge, maybe she's often found in her spare time looking through occult books in the family library and can actually answer. Maybe it's uh, your your lady's older brother or something and maybe you're invited yeah gotta land my bow yeah (laughs) maybe uh maybe you one or both of you have eyes towards one another or something but yeah that scandalous isn't appropriate socially or not see i like that i like that a lot So we'll go with that. It's an old, it's an older brother. You know, maybe how she started out with it is by like, oh, he's interested in these sorts of things. So I'm going to, you know, try to get an edge, you know, got to do what I can because the baby blues aren't enough to flash all the time. It might be of general interest um, to your character too, with the occult stuff, which Mm -hmm. would explain how you meet all the other player characters who each of them would have like an opening scene sort of like this to establish what they are. So Fast forwarding to that evening, because, you know, in the horror, like the scary things happen at night. Say the the group of player characters, they have their own little clique inside the greater uh, Silver Twilight Lodge. They get together and do their investigations. They hold seances. They, you know, have tea parties in the graveyard. You know, all these Byronic things that were popular at the time. But uh, one or more of you decide that a seance is in order for the evening tonight and whether or not this is connected to the actual plot or if it's just a complete red herring could be up to the individual gm but you know one of you could be a charlatan who's just trying to like put on a show for his friends or maybe there's a greater investigation like oh you there's like a local um woman who wants to talk to her dead husband so you as dutiful members of the order are gonna facilitate this or something there's a lot of possibilities in here that you know could set up this like instigating event sort of yeah yeah okay and then would that would that more or less conclude that first day yeah or would you okay i mean that that could be a way to um like conclude even the first session if because call cthulhu like it's great for one shots but it's also great for short and long campaigns i see this as like the scenario more as like a two or three part um campaign just because the story beats like take some time if especially if you're not familiar with the the setting and you need to get into it more which each player might take more time to get going okay okay then during the night or over the next couple of days something happens with the lodge yes there is an incident 
in the lodge. And let's go back to the prompt. A local organization is accused of instigating arguments among people, seemingly natural disasters and even wars. So something happens in the night or over the next couple of days that is going to really change up how the lodge is viewed or how it operates. And my thought is that it happens during the night of the seance because this way the PCs are all together with a convenient alibi and could be trusted enough to actually do the investigation. So I'm thinking that maybe there was maybe there was an earthquake or maybe there was some killings or some ravings going on, maybe a supernatural event. A number of things could be going on right here and you know I'm kind of leaving it open for interpretation at this point. But I think uh, it's important that several high-ranking members of the Silver Twilight are either killed, missing, driven insane all on the same night, just so that there's like literal and figurative bedlam in the society. And since the PCs were together, they're beyond suspicion. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I do have to say, I love the idea of having an, an earthquake go off right as they're like in the middle of their seance. So you oh. throw in that little bit of like, oh, did we do that? Oh, no, what happened? And then maybe yeah. there's that floating in the back of their mind as they're going through this investigation being like, oh, maybe we were the, the dumbasses the cause, who yeah. causes all of and this. And maybe they did. Who knows? Yeah. And like you could always have like that charlatan member of the group just like make make have them make a sanity roll. Okay, they passed it. They only lose one. They know that they're not um, like responsible. But then like you have them like make a I don't know, like a fast talk to just like yeah I did that. Oh yeah yeah absolutely man yeah. I feel like that's something a charlatan would be all over taking credit for that. Yeah. Okay, so the the, the players are considered. Credible. So who would get them on that path to get started with the investigation? So I'm thinking um, it would be helpful to have in the Silver Twilight a, like a, not necessarily as like the most senior or it could be, but some sort of like superior to kind of get them to one, recognize after a couple of days that after like the, the carnage report comes back in, who, who do we have left? Who could have who's not trusted at all in the organization that could have been splintering off and doing their own thing, who has the ability to do that, who is like least uh, likely to presume the guilty party player characters group. And maybe that like superior member could recognize that and call them all together, which is another big trope in Cthulhu being all called together to be given a mission. So you could, if you have in your campaign at like a trusted NPC already, that could that PC could fill, uh, NPC could fill this role, but it might be fun to highlight uh, Carl Sanford and have the player characters be working with an immortal, insane wizard. That might be fun. Yeah, it could add for some very interesting color to this organization. And maybe they they question it, whether or not they want to remain a part of it, or maybe they go into it more based off of that. Yeah, and like they could even be questioning in. Um, on the inside while outwardly going in to investigate because that's what's expected of them and they don't want to get, you know, things blamed on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so this person, we'll just uh, call him Mr. Sanford, has decided that the players are going to go investigate this because they're the least likely to have been the cause of it. Most capable that they have available. Yeah, <laughs> that they have available. I like, gotta, gotta hone in on that available part because it might not actually be very capable <laughs> right um one of the story one of the um like story beats i had um thought of was maybe that there's people that they meet in their investigations which are 
either available but not trustworthy or capable but they might not they're or they might be trustworthy and capable but not available meaning maybe they were killed or put in arrested due to suspicion you can have some credit rolls for some of these uh players to see if like any local law enforcement is suspecting them yeah yeah so and I, I do have some additional thoughts for, for the brainstorming, but again, just kind of going into, hey, here's our outline. So they have the meeting and then they get started with the investigations. Where are some hot points that you would point the characters to get them started? So once once they have like the mission given to them by, let's say, Mr. Sanford or great powerful wizard, whatever his name will be, they might like look into police records, see what the police already dug up. Again, if they pass their credit rating or have the right social connections, they might be able to just have that as a gimme. Um, I was thinking maybe interview a, a, like a surviving member of the order who is being held at Bedlam, which is like the insane asylum or mental health facility, as they called now. Back in back in the day, the Bedlam Hospital would house a lot of the mentally incapable or people perceived to be mentally incapable. So you could have someone who's or more than once someone's in there, you could have uh, an encounter with one of the members of the order who is truly insane and that they believe that they did it. Or just like another member who's like, I don't know why I'm here. I I went and did this ritual. I mentioned the word ritual and now I'm here. They can get some legitimate information off that person. And as Call, Cthulhu, as Call of Cthulhu works, they might actually get the real information off the insane person who actually <laughs> knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can lead into some some interesting thought processes with that. And or a connection if the person's actually sane, but because they said the wrong thing at the wrong time, maybe it would behoove an ambitious character or just the the whole group as general to help that person get out of the asylum when things are said and done or how however they want to go about it. Yeah, the another um, place that they could look at might be like the house of a dead or missing member. See if they left behind any clues. What could have happened? Maybe Mr. Stanford's um, like pointing them. Hey, look for any ritual documents. You know, you know our code. So maybe it's one of those um, like uh, needles, needle hunt for a needle in a stack of needles sort of thing where there's a bunch of papers, but you're looking for the right sigils on it. It's like, okay, this is a ritual. Maybe this has something to do with it. Maybe you find some like uh, societal secrets that you might want to pocket a layer to uh, advance your character through her uh, uh, social mobility thing. And you could, Mm -hmm. if something happens and you are able to rescue someone, you can use like blackmail to further your own cause. Absolutely. Oh man, she's way more devious than I was originally intending, but I like it. <laughs> or or it could be just evidence against your family that you might want to suppress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good point. But what whatever the the investigations lead to, there should be some sort of resolution at the end. And I think that kind of depends on what sort of antagonist that the GM or keeper has in mind. That's exactly what I was thinking as I was looking over your notes. I was like, okay, so we have our story beats. We have our general outline. And part of the reason why like, we haven't addressed it yet was because I'm like, okay, so we have our, we have our frame. Now, who are we going to choose to be the antagonist of this? Because who that is will depend on the kind of resolution that we're going to get. Yeah, and also what clues they find will point you to where this confrontation could take place. Thought of a couple of different options. Um, you have, I'm not exactly sure on their specific history, but 
if there's one, um, if there's already one historic or semi-historic um, hermetic type order, there's probably going to be a like a rival Masonic lodge or something, and maybe it's like a underground occult war, and you're just like finding like the first shots fired in something that's going to start up a whole campaign off of it. Uh, there might be that uh, insider threat that the Silver Lodge is suspecting, which is why the PCs, maybe because they're not the most capable, but they're available and trustworthy, maybe that's why they're picked to do some sort of like intra-organization um, cloak and dagger bug hunt. I really like that one because like okay. I like the idea of organizations within organizations. Maybe there's a shadow organization that's trying to control the normal order maybe there's that shadow organization is the ones who actually believe in magic or have the capabilities to do magic and they're trying to Mm. just Mm -hmm. call up something because they believe that like petitioning towards that Lovecraftian god will either give them power or you know the the god might be so happy that they that that they have cultists to call them up and bring them back early that they might eat them last or you could have like uh, an adept who's just, you know, stupidly accidentally called up something. Our charlatan, for instance, yeah. who made this like amazing seance and it ended up being like <laughs> those jokes where you make a sandwich and you just happen to, you know, make the right devil's marking. So you summon them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for this um, situation, that might actually work, especially if like you then it introduces the whole intra-PC organization uh, thing that's like, I didn't mean to do it. You were all there. Maybe you, what you did it by accident. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and that could, that could, it would be very interesting role-playing to have to deal with something like that. Yeah, so I'm my thoughts, if that was the case, is the PCs um, decide, okay, it doesn't matter who called it up. We got to put it down. So mm-hmm. brings it into the resolution sort of thing. And then you have the question like, okay, we found the responsible party or not, or found like some sort of uh, scapegoat to blame it on. What do we say? We go back to that theme earlier of the authorities maybe not believing the actual truth because what is the truth or the truth is too horrible to be known or that truth sounds an awful lot like slander against this person who's been donating to the police department for years now. So actually exposing that uh, person responsible for it could have some like personal damage for the PCs. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's so, so now we have options of antagonists. I wanted to go a little bit into them because, or I wanted to go into them a little bit more in just thinking of like, well, what could we actually do if we take this antagonist? Let's take the one that you said that you were imagining was going to be the antagonist for if you were to tell this story. So the insider threat. So if you do end up going with the immortal sorcerer, for instance, um, it doesn't make sense or maybe it does, and the sorcerer just forgot. It gets a little bit weird when you have right. like the the threat from within. Does the head know, or do they know, and they just because they're already insane, they forgot, or does it not even involve them? I like the idea of if we're going back to uh, Carl Sanford, the the head honcho wizard guy. If he's actually an immortal sorcerer, he he probably and he is also the threat. He probably has a plan, which I'm thinking. He says, he states the, the obvious immediately that, hey, I think there's an insider threat. It's not me. I think you guys are um, like both capable, available, and trustworthy. 
So I think I'm going to send you guys off to to find it. AK, I'm going to send you off to take care of all my enemies and find out what the police and everyone else has collected so I can get all one place and dispose of the evidence. And then maybe oh. dispose of the player characters afterwards, or they prove to be, you know, loyal as well as capable and available. Then maybe he'll try to attempt to turn them or keep them on or, you know, put them in his back pocket to solve yeah. some more problems. I mean, hey, a whole bunch of high-ranking members just died or went insane or are gone. So yeah. you, gotta you fill up any ranks. You play your cards right. Maybe you gotta see closer to the altar next ceremony. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine wanting to play a game like that where it's like, oh, you find out that this person's a little bit on the crazy side. So, but now you got to figure out how to butter up to them. <laughs> I think this works very well with um, Call of Cthulhu because like, yeah, that um, that the sanity mechanic. So your your characters might be losing sanity and maybe one loses a bunch in one go and gets a temporary or indefinite insanity and actually mm. believes that this is the right thing to do. <laughs> And okay, it might okay. ca- cause friction in the group, but, you know, the, the character is insane, so he or she's going to do what he or she thinks is best. Yeah. Yikes. Plus, Yikes. it's always fun to play cultists. <laughs> See, and I, when I was thinking about it, I didn't take it from the standpoint of the the leader being in on what happened and maybe even instigating all of it. Let's, um, let's, back, it, let's back it up to a place where did you think it's going to go and we can dovetail from there. Well, so there's um, another route that you can take with it is the the leader who in ways is very brilliant, but in other ways is just dumb as a pile of rocks. And I would put that as, you know, maybe more that social, sorry, I, I would, yeah, thank you. Thank you. The social influence where they're just not very good with that. So you have these members who have cozied up to this person and they, they are the neck to the head's head. Mm. So they're pointing him in the right direction. And now you have another set of people who are very upset about that and they want to take those people out. And, you know, you could you could set it up where people on both sides got taken out. So it makes it even muddier to figure out who or what is going on. So it's like a mix of shadow war and insider threat within the organization. But in this case, the leader is clueless because he has an idea of how to do magical stuff or has influence Mm -hmm. and is able to put. Um, things together but he totally doesn't see like a war happen in his own organization absolutely so and then that could lead to some interesting ideas as well because they get them sorted out and you can still have the players potentially step into those roles especially if you wanted Mm -hmm. to continue the game for another with these characters for another sessions couple sessions more stories that sort of thing and because player characters have agency um when npc's don't in a lot of cases whatever side the player characters choose might be the side that wins yeah whatever winning means in this case yeah yeah maybe maybe it is unclear on who started what and who's that was you know responsible so they could end up saving somebody who was responsible for the event but now they're they're still like they managed to get themselves put up into the same situation or um as the pcs at the end of it where mm-hmm. they're they're high ranking and now you know hey that leads into questions. Can you t- trust other people in the organization? Yeah. Sort of like the end of uh, Tinker, Tar- Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, where Mr. Smiley walks in and sits down in the, his predecessor's chair. is like, okay, I guess I'm running this uh, circus now. Okay. I, I haven't heard of that before, but sure. <laughs> it's a book series, that movie. 
Oh, okay. That makes more, that makes sense. I mean, and so that's just, that's just one way, one bullet point where you can have two, or maybe if you think listeners, if you think of something on your own that you can add into it as well to kind of change up just that one. And, you know, we still had like two or three other points that we could build off of. Yeah, like what if the PCs at the beginning of the seance actually brought something that, you know, ends the world? Won't they feel oh a little bit responsible for that? Oh my gosh. Because not only they, did they uh, bring about the end of the world, they probably wiped out the members of the organization who could possibly do something about it. Mm. Go there, lose some sanity, keep going. Just do the best you can. So that would, I think that would take a very, very special group or the the right kind of setup to let players know that, hey, this isn't going to end well, be prepared. (laughs) Because I'd hate to play a game where I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) We're screwed and it's chapter one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, like I said, I think it takes the right kind of mindset to go into a game with that. So definitely warning your players, however you see fit. So we, we talked about the antagonist, what you can do with just one of those points and maybe kind of like also combining them. Definitely, guys, take take your time and think about this. If you, if you want to let us know your thoughts on this, get in our Discord. Let us know. We'd love to talk about it. Just brainstorm more. We want to know what your guys' ideas are because that's half the fun is just talking out what the scenario is going to be like and what you would do with it differently. And, you know, like we all build off of each other. Thank you so much, Craig, for coming today and not only letting us know about the great system of Call of Cthulhu, but coming up with such a fun and interesting idea to go with the prompt. Yeah, thank you for having me, Becca. It's been great to have a very energetic and intelligent person to figure this out with because I feel like uh, my notes were just like, what if this? What if that? And I, this collaboration is like actually making me ex- really excited about this idea. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, like, thank you. <laughs> it's It's been a lot of fun. And I, listeners, thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, if you, if you think of your own stuff and this has inspired you, let us know. We want to know. We want to talk about it. We want to collab more. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you guys in the next brainstorming. Like our style and ready to jump into a longer term game? Make sure to check out Missouri Crossing, our Down Darker Trails Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition game. Starting in the Dakotas in the 1800s, our players have just settled in what will be known as Bismarck, North Dakota, Missouri Crossing. 